Hi, everyone. This is Kyle from The Career Guide. And before we start our podcast today, I just wanted to say thanks for listening and subscribing. And I also wanted to make sure that you knew that we have a free community for graduates, young professionals, or really anyone that's interested in finding, starting, and managing their international career. So go ahead and check the link in the show notes, and you can join us inside the community where there's 130-plus members already striving to achieve their international career. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you inside the community. And now on to our podcast. Over a period of three months, we managed to, from nothing, build a real effective health response, which provided very decent healthcare for 30,000 people that had lost everything. And, you know, being able to see it over three months from drawing something on the paper to having the real health center being built in front of your eyes, uh, going there, following up, uh, hearing the population, how they how they welcomed it. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's fantastic, to be honest. It's really great. Hey, everybody. This is the Career Guide Podcast, brought to you by Capacity Building International and your host, Kyle King. If you've dreamed of working abroad and having an international career, this podcast is for you. Every episode is an interview with someone from the international community. We hear their stories, how they got started, and about their life and experiences while working abroad. Each episode will provide you with personal insights, tips, and strategies to help you launch your international career. We hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and sign up for our career newsletter so you don't miss out on your future and opportunities. Today, we're joined by Laurent Derouet, who is a humanitarian aid worker who has spent the last 12 years living abroad. He is currently employed as a country director by the international NGO Concern Worldwide in Chad. And from 2017 to 2019, he was head of mission for an international NGO based in Pyongyang, DPRK. Before this, Laurent worked from 2011 to 2016 for the Belgium Red Cross, first as a delegate in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then as a country representative in Burundi. In 2010, he was employed as a diplomatic attaché for the permanent mission of Belgium to the United Nations in New York. And in 2009, he worked as a project assistant for the National Democratic Institute in Washington, D.C. Laurent has an MA in international relations from the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies, a DES in international law, and a license in political science from the Université Libre de Bruxelles. So, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us today. I am really interested in your background, especially since you spent some time in Korea. It looks like a fascinating career. And thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me, Kyle. It's a real pleasure. So, of course, one of the questions that we always ask people when we have uh, the podcast is, is, what is your sort of origin story? How did you get started with an international career? Well, actually, I mean, the, the first thing is that I have a, I have a family that's always been um, quite uh, international in, in its work. And uh, my father traveled a lot as a diplomat. And my two of my sisters were also traveling abroad uh, for the NGOs and the uh, United Nations. So from the start, I was kind of immersed in this uh, international lifestyle. But personally, on my side, I finished my studies in, in Brussels in political science uh, and international law. And um I did my Erasmus abroad uh, in, in Prague for a year, which I really thoroughly enjoyed, and then decided to apply for an MA with the John Hopkins University. And that was my first real experience abroad. And uh, for the specific MA, actually, the first year is in Bologna, Italy, and the second year is in Washington, D.C. 
So that was already quite interesting. And, and also a very interesting part for me was that after your MA in your second year in DC, uh, you get a one-year work permit to work in the U.S., which as a European is really hard to get. Uh, so I was able to work one year in Washington, D.C., working with the National Democratic Institute, uh, this uh, international NGO with, that works on democracy and uh, political participation. Uh, and so that was really how I got into the international NGO humanitarian uh, development uh, career. Uh, was this transition from my MA to this work for the National Democratic Institute in DC for a year? That's interesting. Uh, and how, uh, speaking of sort of the your educational program, because we I often hear sort of mixed feelings about academic support for people that want to work internationally. So, you know, for example, people will tell me that they have talked to their career services and they find that they don't get a lot of good information because maybe it's not necessarily international school or international oriented school that they've gone to or university or that career services and support for those that want to work internationally may be somewhat limited. And you tend to get sort of the standard advice of go network or go do an internship. But beyond that, it, it's it's quite difficult. But this program sounds specifically like it could be very helpful for people in terms of, you know, getting an international career. Was it easy for you once you finished your master's and had that one year to find a position in the U.S.? Well, to answer your question, I mean, first of all, I think I, I got quite limited advice, I think, on, on international career and specifically on the kind of career I wanted with the with the international NGOs or United Nations. It's not it's not the first choice of career after for people who have gone through this uh, this MA. So, yeah, the, the, the information was quite limited. As you say, it was more, well, you know, go do an internship build up your network and this kind of really general advice. So yeah, it, it, it wasn't really very helpful. The, the first uh, position I got with the National Democratic Institute was actually a recommendation from a friend who was employed there and in the similar position and um, who just kind of, you know, put my, my resume on the table and said, you know, it might be interesting uh, to, to hire me. The, the real reason why I got the job actually in DC and the US was that I spoke French. Uh, and they needed somebody, they were working on, on Francophone Africa, uh, projects in Francophone Africa, and they needed somebody who spoke perfectly French and did understand a bit, uh, you know, the international dynamics. So uh, I was doing a lot of translation at first, <laughs> which wasn't the most um, thrilling part of the job, but, but it got me in and it gave me my first experience. So, so that, was, that was really good. Oh, that's interesting. And I think, of course, that the benefit of being a European is the fact that you generally will be speaking more than one language, right? Um, exactly. As opposed to, gen you know, generally speaking, coming from the U.S., you know, it's it's mostly one it's a big advantage. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a huge advantage. Have you seen that in sort of through all of your different assignments, uh, that language is a key factor for you? Yes, absolutely. Always. Uh, the, the fact now that I'm, you know, that I've managed to speak relatively well English and, and French having my uh, being my native language definitely helps uh, working in Francophone Africa. You have endless jobs that are open for all these uh, English-speaking organizations that are trying to find people that are bilingual, perfectly bilingual. So, yeah, it's a big asset, definitely. Any language is an asset. <laughs> yeah, was... highly recommended. And so yeah. you were with NDI in, in D.C. Yeah. for a year, and then you transitioned. What was that like for you next now that you were going to get into a normal sort of international career at that transition point? What was that like for you? Yeah, it was a bit worrying because my, my work permit was um, was finishing in the U.S., so I, I had no guarantee I could stay. 
I wanted to stay in the U.S. for for a bit still, but uh, NDI could not employ me anymore. So I, I took a little break, went back to see my family in Europe, and then this great opportunity arose uh, with the, the Belgian diplomats uh, to the UN. Uh, Belgium was assuming the um, the presidency of the EU, and so they were recruiting extra staff to to coordinate with the the other European actors in, in New York. Uh, and they were looking for people who had a strong background in international law and that, you know, had an international experience already. So I, I got hired. It was one of my most interesting position, uh, to be honest, even if it was, was pretty short. But it, it was really fascinating. Uh, we were following discussion at the Security Council, at the General Assembly, uh, writing reports to the Belgian Foreign Ministry, trying to coordinate position with the EU members. Uh, so, so very interesting political negotiation work and really gave me that kind of pleasure to engage in diplomatic dialogue, uh, which is really useful in this type of career. When you found that position, was that something you were actively seeking or was that something that just sort of came up through your network? No, it's actually my university back in Brussels who sent me an email saying, you know, there is this opportunity. You seem to fit the profile. So would you like to apply? It was one of my old teachers from uh, from my university. So yeah, good, good job on the University of Wisconsin. It's, uh, it's actually, they have a, a good follow-up on that. Yeah. Oh, that's very helpful. And just sort of, you know, speaks to the power of networking and staying in touch with people in terms Absolutely. of uh, the careers. You spent time in New York then, is that correct? Yeah, in New York, yeah. Almost a year. Uh, okay. And what was that like for you being actually in, you know, sort of the center of the United Nations there being in New York and working at the headquarters. And because most people, when they think about the United Nations, you know, like they dream of, you know, New York, or if they say, you know, the European Union, it's always Brussels, you know, and the UN is always New York. And then they always have this sort of dream, but it's not easy to achieve, right? It's it's very difficult to get to New York, but you, you managed to do that fairly quickly and fairly early on, which is a, a great <laughs> advantage. Yeah, no, it, it it was great. I really loved uh, every single part of it. It was it was better than I expected, and uh, yeah, like I said, life was was amazing in New York. Um, <laughs> I had actually done my internship at the UN first um, uh, the the year before uh, for two months only, and then so I came back working for the Belgian diplomats. And the two experiences were very different. Uh, for one major reason is that I was actually getting a, a pretty good salary. Uh, I'd say if you have a good salary in New York, it, it definitely helps enjoy the, the city much more. Uh, so, no, I, I saw the good side of New York and and, uh, and the really interesting multicultural, uh, yeah, international side of New York, which I think is a, is a really good side to discover. So after some time there, I mean, I certainly wouldn't recommend, in my personal opinion, like I wouldn't recommend one of those famous uh, you know, unpaid one-year internships in New York, right? <laughs> Unless you can bankroll it, but that's two like... months was enough. I did two months, and my luckily my sister was in New York, so I could crash at her place. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a that's a huge investment. Uh, so when you left New York, then and and what was your next step? Where did you go after that? So I didn't have a job for a while. Uh, it was a short contract, like I said, just for the length of the um, the EU presidency. So went back home as I always do. Uh, spend time with my family or my mom. Uh, considering I had been gone for for a couple of years now, and uh, yeah, I started applying in um, uh, what I really wanted to do: uh, humanitarian fieldwork NGOs. I tried various things, various programs, UN volunteer program. I launched uh, the process, uh, Belgium technical cooperation youth program. I went through all the process as well, and then just uh, random applying for for NGOs and for uh, you know humanitarian uh, organizations. Uh, and I didn't get anything for almost four months, uh, four or five months, I would say, which was quite, you know, it's always this uh, transition period that are 
quite stressful and, and quite worrying where you try to network to the maximum, uh, send your CV, resume everywhere. You don't get many answers. People say you don't have the experience. You kind of get discouraged. <laughs> but uh, then all of a sudden, in, in like around May-June, I got three offers at the same time, almost over the same week. Uh, from the UN Volunteer, from the Belgian Technical Corporation, uh, and from the Belgian Red Cross, all of them being in uh, in uh, African countries, and um, you know more or less the profile I wanted to to do. So, again, that was, that was really great and, and unexpected, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, great news when I got it. That's interesting. So, we were talking just very briefly before we we sort of started the the podcast, which it, you've always wanted to be in the international NGO space. Right. Yeah. Um, but you had uh, we we were just talking about New York, and then you sort of made a, a huge shift from New York to to Africa. Um, what was uh what was your motivation behind that? Yeah. Well, you know, I was uh, very young, very idealistic, and um, I wanted to see the real fields. I wanted to see, you know, the the worst of the worst, and I wanted to use the fact that I was still young and and uh, you know didn't have money attachment back in Europe to to go to the most isolated place and see how it was like and see the kind of work that was being done. I wanted to see it from my from my own eyes. So I, I tried to apply, you know, to more poor isolated countries or, or areas uh, to work in. And also, I mean, that's what I wanted, but that's also generally what's the easiest to, to get. Uh, you know, beggars can be choosers generally. Uh, at the beginning, you go where there are some spots available. And definitely, it's generally in the in the places where the hardship is higher than than other areas. Uh, so yeah, uh, that that was my goal. Uh, and so in the end, uh, it's the Belgian Red Cross who made made the best offer. They they offered me the the, the position of a project assistant in Bandundu DRC Congo, <laughs> and uh, yeah, accepted. And it was a, it was a very interesting experience. Very interesting experience. Uh, Bandundu is is a big province the size of Italy, actually, in Congo, but it's absolutely not well known. It's absolutely forgotten. There, there's no international persons living there. I was the only white person, only expat in the, in the town where I was, completely isolated, had to take an helicopter from the UN to reach. It was, it was yeah, it was the, the real, you know, deep Africa. Uh, so, so very, very interesting experience uh, for wow. me, exactly what I wanted. How long do you spend there? I spend a, a full year in Bandundu, so in the in the countryside, and then a, a full year in Kinshasa, where I was flying regularly towards the two bases we had uh, inside the country. And and how was it for you? What were you like coming out out of that experience? Where you did it completely change the way you think about things, or this idealism that you had? It was first of all, it was exhausting. I mean, <laughs> I lost so much weight. Uh, I was I was sick. Uh, psychologically, it was uh, pretty hard as well. You know, being very very isolated. But but at the same time, it, it was it was amazing experience being able to discover a country almost nobody knows, uh, being really able to I had quite a few responsibilities being being the you know the, the head of the project there and quite alone I had to take a lot of decision a lot of responsibilities so it, it you know it helped me grow very fast in in assuming responsibilities on, on project management and uh, no I, I I kept I mean it was I always think it was a great experience and I definitely not regret it, doing it. Having this this feel cred of you know having seen really rough conditions, uh, it puts in perspective everything you do after. So mm -hmm. it's good to do it early because afterwards I I would never have the courage to do it anymore now. 
<laughs> I'm too used to my comfort now. But being able to do it when you're young, it's uh, it's definitely good. And I, I've heard this from, from many colleagues who did the same thing. They're all happy they went to the field field uh, first uh, and, and learned maximum there and then evolved towards the next steps. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I often tell people, you know, if I'm giving anybody advice, I, I say very much the same thing, which is, you know, sort of everybody is in a position of wanting to go out and do something. One is more idealistic, wants to create change and, and build, you know, build societies and do all sorts of, you know, idealistic things. And then where that is all taking place is really in the field environments. And in terms of an international career, you know, I always think that there's like a three-year cycle because projects are generally speaking about three years and whatever the case is. And so, you know, if you start in the field, that's three years, you change, you go somewhere three years. And as you mature, as you get older, you generally start gravitating towards the more comfortable assignments. And I always found it's, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, but I always found it was quite odd to have somebody who is like in New York for like 15 years and then show up in in somewhere you know in in africa in a really remote location or something and then you're like what are you what are you doing here you're doing it backwards uh, absolutely and you're absolutely right for these cycles i think i can yeah it's quite a correct uh, way to see it and uh, yeah you you immediately spot the people who who come from straight from new york after 15 years and and go for the first time in the field uh, i mean they're, they're very easy to spot and <laughs> they're definitely not the ones doing the, the doing the best work here i think it's really important to go through the step and and again it is quite humbling because you realize that the impact that you have the uh, is is still quite minimal. You realize that you know the, the depth of the poverty and the, the misery that you're confronted with is again it's, it's really humbling and it, and it really makes you consider your lifestyle in Europe, most of it, or, or in the you know in the western uh, western countries. It's so different. People are living in such poverty and such misery with, with so little that for me, for the first two years, it was really quite shocking. I was. I remember flying back to Europe and, and going through the supermarket, and I was kind of in a daze. I, I couldn't believe it. There were so many things. There were so many colors. So many, you know, options, and and it was very, very strange feeling. You, you get used to it after a while, but but yeah, definitely strange. <laughs> oh, definitely. And there's the, what I found also in some of the work that I've done in, in sort of conflict regions, and I I come from a crisis management background. But then I, I look at that and I think. I think what it's highlighted for me to a certain extent is just sometimes how vulnerable we are in, say, the northern countries, the western countries in terms of our lifestyle and what we're really accustomed to. You know, and I think the field experience really gives you that perspective of like, you know, when a hurricane hit you know, New York and then there's like this big discussion about, well, the Internet is a human right, you know, and you're like, well, you know, <laughs> you, you used to travel a bit, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I really think it helps us build a perspective. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely that. Yeah, uh, when you realize what people complain about in, in Europe or the small things, it's uh, well, it's it's of course it's a bit cliche, but but it's true. You know, when you when you live with almost nothing, uh, you put everything in perspective for sure. And what's interesting, though, you mentioned something that I think is an extremely good experience, which is the fact that because you were alone, mm -hmm. because you were in the field by yourself you're forced to take and make decisions and, and you sort of, there's this like accelerated growth path. Like you come out after like one year in that location and you have probably gained, I, I mean, I'm just sort of guessing, you know, it was sort of anecdotal, but like you gain like five years experience in one year, you know, and I think that's a really, it's, 
not many people can do it. And I think if you can put your in that uncomfortable position to do that, you just you you accelerate so fast in your sort of international experience and what you're capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're correct. I guess it depends a bit how you do it. The good thing is that I was I was working for the Belgian Red Cross, but I was embedded with the, the Congolese Red Cross. And so I was really integrated in the organization. And my goal was to, you know, um, build up their base that they had there and, and try to help them uh, be able to manage uh, international projects, humanitarian projects. But, but being able to directly work with the local population, the local organization, that was very, very useful for all the rest of my career. Uh, learning about patience, about, like I said, diplomatic skill, about how to engage in a constructive manner, modest in the results you can achieve, uh, all these kind of things, you know, learned really fast and, and definitely kept that for the rest of my career in Africa. And definitely having that as a basis was very helpful. When you go through these different countries and you, you see all mm-hmm. the various different people and, and you meet with different, uh, you know, international workers and things like that, how important is it to, and I don't really have a, a great terminology for this, but I, I call it, I, I, the way I sort of communicate it is like, they'd be able to take something from a conceptual idea and then to create it, right? And so from your head to your hands, basically, you know, because when you're in the field environment and you re- you are by yourself or you're in a limited staff, you have to like create these ideas and then you have to sort of manifest them somehow. You have to build them. You have to, you know, and there's no reference points and you have to, you know, sort of talk to people, talk to people locally, local populations, other interlockers, stakeholders, donors, whatever the case is, and you have to create something, oftentimes by yourself. Um, how, how would you rate that in terms of a skill? Have you seen something similar, I guess would be the first question. And if so, how would you rate that as, as a type of skill? Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely correct when you describe it. It's and What I would say is that it's probably the most satisfying feeling that you can have uh, in your job. If you manage to create something from nothing uh, that is really useful for the local context and that you see it from the you know theoretical thinking part to the implementation and, and concrete support it's providing to your population i think that's that's the most interesting uh, interesting process to go through uh, uh, for example recently um, we uh, in my current position, uh, th- there's been a, a very high level of, of displaced uh, in Lake Chad due to the Boko Haram uh, uh, attacks. Uh, there was a site where there was 30,000 people uh, displaced who had basically nothing, uh, no, no, no support, no access to, to, to healthcare or water or anything. We gathered with my team, made plans for providing uh, health support. I remember drawing myself, you know, how we would build a health center, how we would quickly with shipping containers deploy as soon as possible the, the, the health infrastructure, positioning emergency mobile clinics so that, you know, for the time where the, the health center was going to be built. And over a period of three months, we managed to, from nothing, build a real effective health response, which provided very decent healthcare for 30,000 people that had lost everything. And you know, see, being able to see it over three months from drawing something on the paper to having the real health center being built in front of your eyes, uh, going there, following up, uh, hearing the population, how they how they welcomed it. Uh, it I mean, it's, it's fantastic, to be honest. It's really great. Yeah, it's an amazing experience. Um, let's, let's fast forward a bit. And so you, you spent a number of years in Africa and then you went to Pyongyang. Yeah, how did you how did you make that jump? <laughs> it's it's uh, 
it's uh, yeah. I'm not really sure actually how I ended up in Pyongyang. It wasn't really one of my main objectives. At that time, I, I was actually um, pretty serious for my partner. We had been to Burundi together. After spending almost three and a half years in Burundi, we wanted to change. Actually, we're getting a bit tired of Africa. Uh, we're trying to get a job in, in another uh, continent uh, in Asia. Uh, and I, I, if I remember well, I think we were aiming for Myanmar and, and we ended up in, in, in DPRK. I, I applied almost as a joke with my, with my partner. And uh, she, she couldn't believe it when I, when I told her I actually got an interview. The, the organization, Première Urgence Internationale, this French organization, um, when I applied, they basically called me the next day. It was the, it was the day before Christmas. And they were like, please, please do the interview. We really need somebody. And uh, yeah, almost in a, in a couple of weeks, it was, it was done. We had this really long night with my, with my partner where we were trying to decide whether or not we would do it and take the position. She would have to follow me there without any job. We had no idea what North Korea was like. It was, it was quite stressful. And we almost said no. And then in the last minute, we just said, oh, fuck it. Let's, let's just go for it. And it turns out it was probably the best, uh, best posting we ever had. Uh, oh, really? In a career, yeah. I think it was probably the best two years I've done in my career. So, yeah. Oh, it, fascinating. It a great surprise in the end. Yeah, and, and so what was life like there? It's hard to describe. I mean, it's it's a very, very small international community that's allowed to live there. Uh, only diplomats, four or five NGOs, a couple of UN missions, all living together in the same uh, neighborhood in, in Pyongyang. Uh, so it's uh, everything you discover, everything you see is actually something you discover that you've never heard about, that nobody has ever heard about. And and it was fascinating, honestly. We were we were a lot more free than we we thought we would be. So we could circulate normally in Pyongyang. I had my own car. We would go to restaurants, to bars. We would go to museums. We would go, you know, do some sports with, with Koreans and everything. Uh, so it it was quite a normal and interesting life in Pyongyang. Uh, and we had also access quite a lot to the field. So we could go see the the projects we we're working on. Uh, we could go on on holidays. Went to the beach. We went skiing. We went hiking. Uh, so you know, in, in terms of discovery, it was it was absolutely fascinating, and and we were really quite uh, welcome there. So, of course, the regime, the system is completely crazy, completely bizarre. There are things that are really terrible going on for the population, but in the end, you know, if you compare with things, the, the misery or things I had seen in Africa, it's not it's not so much different than than some areas that I had seen. So, but but again, uh, and Big risk, but in the end, amazing experience. A lot of great job being done, actually. Our work was, the work was going really well. We had very good projects. Uh, the North Koreans were very, really involved. Uh, we're doing a lot of food security and agriculture projects, and, and they worked really well, actually. So work-wise, it, it was quite interesting. Of course, also very fascinating, interesting was this whole negotiation with the, the North Korean authorities, uh, how to develop projects, how to uh, well, what they, what was allowed, what wasn't allowed, and, and kind of having these uh, diplomatic exchange on, on you know pushing back on what we could do or what we wanted to do. Also, very interesting to manage the whole international aspects. Um, we had to manage the international sanctions. We had to um, ask for exemption at the UN Security Council. Uh, we had to manage with these very tense periods that Mercury had to go through with the missile crisis and everything. And then we went through this uh, kind of uh, uh, normalization of the relationship with the U.S., with Trump visiting. So we saw that. All that was, was really fascinating and, and definitely 
interesting to observe. We really felt like we were part of some of some historical moment about it. Wow, very interesting. And so then uh, you spent a couple of years there, and then you are now back in Africa. Is that correct? So yeah, when you when you were making these sort of transitions, were you specifically targeting something in terms of you know greater progression or responsibility? Uh, because when I I think there's a lot of, there, well there's not a lot which is why we have this podcast but there's some information about how you can start an international career but what really nobody talks about is managing a career right and so how are you supposed to put all these pieces together and to make an actual you know quote unquote career and and you know have it work for 20 years is is a different discussion versus starting you know and so when you when you you know you said you just applied for this one position just to even see if you would get it and you actually got it. So was that was that a progressive step for you? And then after you left that, you sort of established yourself there, and you decided to take a next step forward. What were you thinking at that point? Yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting. It's definitely complicated to manage the career. I think I think you have to accept that at some points it's just going to slow down. At some point it's going to accelerate. That you're going to have breaks where you're going to do nothing. You have to know what you want. I think when we were going to 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 Korea, for example, it was definitely a geographical shift we wanted or a cultural shift i would say we wanted we didn't want to stay stuck in our career in uh francophone africa a lot of people get stuck on that meaning that they do their whole career in francophone africa or, or, or english africa and you kind of you know just keep going with the same jobs and and we are a bit afraid of that so we wanted another perspective and that's why we started applying in asia after north korea uh, i discussed with my partner i think that the 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 objective was more, like you said, to build up in our career. So have something that had more responsibilities. We started applying um, to work for donors or for other international organizations. Uh, we went through the whole process to be recruited for the European Union delegations. Uh, it's the kind of this competition you have, we have to do. So we both went through the competition. And uh, yeah, my, my, my partner got the job first uh, in Chad to work for the EU uh, commission. And, and I followed on that one. Uh, she had followed me to North Korea and then I followed to, to chat. And uh, in the end, almost a week where she got the job for Chad, I was already being interviewed by Concern Worldwide for a country director position, which was a really big leap in terms of responsibility because in, in North Korea, I was managing a team of maybe what, 10, 11 people. Uh, and here we're 110 with, um, definitely a much bigger budget, much bigger responsibilities. I still have this objective of maybe changing, going more towards the the donors, donor institutions uh, after my passage with the NGOs, see what's the other side uh, like, you know, be on the money side, on the deciding side, uh, rather than on, on the implementing side. Yeah, so th that's more or less what I see for the future. What does that mean in terms of like career path? Does that mean like going back to Europe then and working on that donor side? What does that actually mean in terms of a tangible step for you? No, I think that would be more donor donor side, but in the fields. Uh, there's a lot okay. of donor representation or financial institution that are based in, in Africa. You can you can work for the European Union for the you manager in a branch of the, the European Union for uh, even even for United Nations where are less implementing but more more deciding. But then again, I'm I'll see what happens in the in the next position. Uh, it, it's it's we didn't talk so much about that, but uh, so I'm married now. We got married in Chad with my partner, but uh, it's definitely a big um, a big influence on the international career. Being able to do it when you're two, 
uh, it changes a lot. It changes a lot for the the hardship of the position you're in. I mean, you're you're if you're there's two of you, you're definitely able to support a lot more things. You're much more resilient. Uh, you're much more open to staying longer in a place when you're, you're with your partner. So um, it, it really helps in that sense. I've been through some really serious crises when I was in Burundi, uh, even in North Korea. It, it, it helps to have uh, your partner there, I think, psychologically. But then again, also, it, it influenced your career path, meaning that you're going to have to compromise when you where, on where you go. If you're both working, you're going to have to go to destination where you can both find a job and you're going to have to compromise. Meaning one will, um, you know, follow at one point and then a switch, the other one will, will, will follow uh, for the next position. But a lot of people think it's not possible to do, but, but actually it works. I, I know a lot of people who are doing it. Uh, my sisters are doing it and done it. And, and I see more advantage than disadvantage to it, to be honest. Yeah, and that's another point that really, you know, people don't talk about too much. And there is a, sort of a mid-career point, right, where then you start having the intersection of the rest of your life starts coming into play. So when, when you have a partner, if you want to start a family, if you want to start all these things, yeah. the decisions you're making change. And it's less about sort of that extreme field experience, and you have to start considering other lifestyle factors, right? So for me, you know, personally... You know, I, I tend to take that hub and spoke experience where like we're so the, the family is centered in one location and then I travel and bounce back and forth quite often. Others, like you say, partner together and they try and find jobs and positions together. And, and there's only so many ways you can do this, right? There's maybe only two ways to really approach it, but it does tremendously change the way that you look at things. You know, if positions are going to be, you know, accompanied or family duty stations, you know, yeah. or if they're not, or, you know, the the hazard and the risk environments that you're going to be in, those are all sorts of factors. And then if you start having kids and it's, it's issues of schools and, and everything else and, and how disruptive that can be if you Absolutely. want to change, because, you know, like you said, your partner had a job, you know, the, the week before you, but, mm -hmm. you know, then the decisions you're making are impacting, you know, your partner's career or your kids in school and their education is it becomes far more complicated, I, I think, sort of at that mid-career mark. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it is complicated, but at the same time, like you said, at this mid-level step, it also gets easier because the experience you've, you've uh, accumulated uh, helps you. It, it's much easier to get you know, the jobs that you want. So uh, I, for the position I have for country director, for example, there is really a high demand. In almost any country where I, I can point on the map, I can probably quite easily find a position, a similar position, because there's such a high demand. So it's not like at the beginning of a career where you basically go where you can. Um, once, you, once you've actually built that uh, experience and that, that, you know, networking and that knowledge, uh, I, I, it does get easier, I think, to, to, to find a position. So yeah, it's, it's both sides of the thing. Yeah, that's a great perspective. I mean, because if you are gaining that experience, you should have more options available to you on the table, right? To be, to be able to exactly. look at. So more qualified and then, yeah. Look at for Korea. My, my, my partner followed me and um, ended up uh, being the, the, the director for another French NGO. And actually her job in the end was even better than mine. She, she had more responsibilities and, and, and everything. So, and it went really fast as well. So you, sometimes you just have to take a leap. And, and uh, if you have the good competence, you're going to find something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so let's let's discuss, you know, because we're, we're starting to get, and towards the end of the podcast, but let's discuss about sort of if you, if you were reframing this now and you're thinking back and you're looking across, you know, sort of your 
experience so far. What what are a few points that you know you would tell people now in terms of they they were just starting their career? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, well. The first thing I'd say is don't worry too much about the studies you've done. <laughs> it doesn't have such a big impact in the end. Uh, definitely what I learned in my MA didn't have a huge impact on what I what I did later on. Although it's good to have a good international diploma, it definitely helps. Um, I would say, you know, like we said, try to go to the fields, fields as soon as possible, uh, accept the dirty positions first and the, you know, the, the, the complicated positions uh, in the field because definitely you don't regret it afterwards. And, and it's, it's, it's really great to gain that experience at first. I'd say do engage in all these process for junior professional, uh, junior expert and everything that you know, the, the United Nations or the national technical corporations have. It's really a way to get in uh, quite quite well in, in these types of position. We often think that you know it, it, it's not going to lead anywhere, but getting this first experience in the field through these processes can, can really help. There, there's a high demand in NGOs for you know qualified and and well experienced staff. It's it's a great career in the sense that if you start if you manage to get this first position, you're really almost assured to have a a, a full time employment with with a good salary in the long run. So. Uh, you know that that can also be reassuring in the end, even if you have these gaps where, in between missions, you don't really know what you, you you're doing. Uh, it, it's it generally it always works out. And speaking of these gaps, when in terms of the transition, uh, how much time are you giving yourself to to kind of go from one position to another? Did you have a sort of expectation in place? Well, first of all, it's sometimes really good to take a break, not do anything. So, for example, after Burundi or after Congo, I was pretty exhausted. I really needed that break. So, you know, you're far away from your family, from your from your childhood friends. So it's good to take this time to go back, uh, just decompress, to take time with your family. Uh, in general, I would say it was four or five months uh, break was was quite enough. Uh, and uh, then I would really start again researching quite quite strongly. But there's also some some recruitment process that take a really long time. So sometimes you're just going through the process and then just waiting for, for, for it to go through. Uh, but again, it's not a big problem. If you, you just take a break, everybody does that in your international career. It sounds very strange for people who stay in the same place to have these big gaps in, in your career, but actually everybody does it and, and it's totally normal. You, you get so exhausted in the kind of job we do that, that it's actually good for you to, to take these breaks. It actually, it helps a lot, right? I, I took a break of about a year and it was, uh, I think one of the best things I ever did. Uh, exactly. Because, and then that was after about nearly a, an eight year period of working in a mission. And then I, I decided to take a break and it was really uh, so helpful in so many ways to decompress and then sort of fix your frame of reference, normalize back into society a bit, you know, and then then when yeah. you go, you have, again, your perspective of like you had when you first started, but you have a lot more experience and a lot more context and cultural understanding to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. That That's absolutely correct. And uh, yeah, you can take the time to do other things, you know, like learn a language or, you know, work on on, on other stuff like that, on trainings that, that are not necessarily work, but, but that do kind of help in progressing. So yeah, definitely something to consider. How much have you seen in terms of your own personal responsibility for your career? Because 
you know, the, over the years, there's been a discussion like, okay, there's no retirement organizations anymore, right? And so, you know, people, even if you're going in private sector and you're going into IT or something like that, right? You, people know like that full gold retirement package is no longer available. But I've always been sort of like the advocate of like that really doesn't even exist in the international community and hasn't for a long time. It's always been sort of project, project, project. And so we have to have sort of an extreme ownership over our career. What do you what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like you have to have this personal ownership and sort of create your own path? Yeah, absolutely. You have to. I mean, I really don't think I have any perspective of for, for any kind of retirement or, or anything. Uh, I think you have to be independent in that sense. I'm so far from everything related to Belgium in terms of administrative support or for, you know, even when I go back, I, I don't have um, an employment benefits. I, I don't get that anymore. I've been gone too long and, and you know, it's, it's too complicated. So you just have to stay independent and, um, and, and work on your own, uh, yeah, your own path, as you said, but, but it's fine in the end, you know, like you said, it's, it's, that that's the, the, the way it goes in, in most situations now. So, yeah. Yeah. You just have to sort of, like you said, you have to plan for everything on your own and you yeah. just have to, to think about those things and plan accordingly as you, as you go through all these different sort of projects and, and positions and, yeah. and to keep that in mind as you bounce around, you know, and then factor in all your sort of life things that come up uh, throughout that process, you know, so that's, that's incredibly interesting. The thing is generally that you spare a lot of money uh, working abroad. You, you don't spend much and your salary is still the same. So you can, you can, you know, keep that as a reserve for later. It's not so worrying, I would say. Yeah, no, it's not. But it, it's just something that I think nobody really talks about, right? Unless yeah. you're talking with other international professionals like, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, you need to plan for these things because you may have your project come to a close abruptly. I don't know. Um, but, you know, things happen. And then you're sort of in a period of transition with that you didn't plan for. So you just need to be ready for it. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. So what's sort of next for you then in terms of your next steps and where you where do you see yourself going in your after you're finished with with Chad? Well, actually, we already know it's the first time in my life. I already know where I'm going to go in, in, in 10 months. So uh, my my wife and my now wife, since we got married last year, has a posting in Senegal uh, for for the next uh, couple of years. So we will probably leaving around September, October. And, and heading there to Dakar. Uh, so yeah, I'm slowly gonna start looking for what I could get there. Maybe take a small break, uh, I don't know yet. But uh, yeah, I have a bit of time to, to see uh, to see what's coming. So yeah, start networking, that, that kind of stuff. Well, definitely that's, that's much easier when your partner's with you and it eases that transition. So that's fantastic. But uh, yeah, Lauren, thank you so much for uh, to sharing your experiences with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been very insightful and, and you've got a, definitely a very interesting career. I think a lot of people can learn from. Well, thanks a lot. It was a real pleasure.